right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler, and I'll uh, bring in the other panelists in just a minute. Well, but uh, so today, uh, Justin Dobbs is with me. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well, thank God. You doing okay? Good. Yeah, I'm doing good. I've had a little bit of a stressful day, but uh, it's um, bearable stress, I guess. <laughs> well, you yeah. and your family just just moved, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. First world problems, so it's not a not a big deal. Um, but yeah. Ready to ready to talk about some scripture, so that'll be fun. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 So so today, um, Justin, we're just going to be back in Mark. Um, so we've been going through Mark periodically, uh, just looking at this gospel, the shortest gospel um, that of the four uh, that we have recorded of the life of Jesus. And we left off last time in Mark chapter three, and we got through verse 21. Um, so up to this point, we've seen a whole lot of different things about Jesus, uh, about the beginning of his ministry, um, his baptism, his teaching his authority that he has over various different things, over unclean spirits, over sickness and disease, over sin. He can forgive sin in chapter two right. um, because he is God um, and various things like that. And how chapter three, what we got to ended was Jesus uh, calling his apostles, um, the specific 12 men that he was going to kind of appoint to a specific task to teach the gospel, spread the gospel, be kind of his uh, personal inner circle of, of disciples to, to be able to, to be there after his um, leaving from the earth. And so we're ready for verse 22. So do you have anything that you want to say um, before verse 22, before we start getting into the new text? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think, um, yeah, I think we're ready to go. This is kind of a, a next episode, if you will. So I'm, I'm ready to go. You want me to read 22 through uh, uh, 30? Yeah, go ahead. All right. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons who casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. They were saying he has an unclean spirit. Probably one of the most... Um, concerning passages in all the bible people read this one they ask questions i'm sure you've sat across the table from someone and you know they're concerned that they've committed this sin that mm -hmm. uh, is an eternal sin uh we'll, i guess we'll get to that in a minute um but here uh, jesus has been doing some like you said remarkable things his, his teaching isn't just like everybody else's teaching it sounds like it has authority and then based off of his miracles he actually has authority. He can mm. tell demons get out and they have to obey. Um, they, they respond to him. The, the storms respond to him. Uh, he proves he can forgive sin. And it is at this point, I think his, his opposition uh, realizes they have no other alternative but to malign Jesus's character. Mm. Um, 
I don't, do, do you want to talk at all about maybe why they'd want to do this? Like why, why they feel like they need to oppose Jesus in the first place? I'd be excited for Jesus to come along, I would think. Uh, why are they so upset that Jesus is there? Yeah, there, there are probably a lot of different reasons. One of them is in, um, where is it, in John uh, 11. Um, this is kind of telling. Uh, in John 11, after Jesus raises someone from the dead, um uh he raises one of his friends Lazarus from the dead which is amazing <laughs> um I mean if you go through the, the Bible like it, you see a lot of amazing things in the scriptures Old Testament New Testament a lot of amazing miracles that are performed uh the waters of the Red Sea being parted uh, creation itself is a really amazing episode to 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 read about and see um and just lots of really incredible things people coming back from the dead is a relatively rare thing in the bible um it doesn't happen very much um but jesus is able to to do that um and after he does that there's you know evidence the guy's been dead for three days in john 11 but in verse 45 of john 11 many of the jews therefore who had come with mary had seen what he did and believed in him but some of them went to the pharisees and told them what jesus had done and so the chief priest and the pharisees gathered the council and said what are we to do for this man performs many signs? You read through verse 47 and it's like, okay, good. So far <laughs> they, they realize he's doing a lot of stuff. And then he said, then they say in verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Um, and so there you see kind of one, at least one of their motivations. They had maybe a lot more, um, but this one here, they realize that Jesus is gaining a lot of popularity. Um, he's doing really incredible things and people are, are following him. They're, they're believing in him. They're, they're seeing the things that he's doing and uh, he's going to draw too much attention to himself and draw the attention of the Roman government. And the Romans aren't going to appreciate this guy becoming so popular. And so they're going to come in and crush Jerusalem. Um, and the Pharisees don't want to lose their position, their prestige, their city, their nation. Uh, and so from their perspective, at least there in John, they're trying to protect their position. Um, and I don't know, some other reasons maybe tied into that um, is jealousy and hatred of Jesus. They wanted to be the popular ones, the ones that were needed, the ones that people flocked to, um, but they're starting to lose a little bit of their the spotlight there. So that's just a couple. I don't know if you have any, any other ones, but. No, I think, I think those are all right. Um, and, and that quote from John 11, we'll lose our place. Um, it's hard to tell as the priest talking about like Israel's national place on the worldwide stage or, you know, the, uh, uh, the Jewish leaders place. Um, either way, though, they're, they're thinking about themselves and they may say that they're wanting the kingdom of God but they're not really looking for it. Uh, and in fact, you know, Lou talks about those who are seeking the kingdom of God. Um, we've got uh, Simeon, you know, who, who's trying, he's looking and he's excited here. Here's Jesus, baby Jesus. Uh, Mark gives us some clues uh, early on in chapter one. We've talked about his authoritative teaching. We've talked about him preaching in synagogues. You know, he's going everywhere. But then he also begins to kind of uh, contrast his teaching with, the teaching of the Pharisees, uh, where they're talking about fasting, uh, strict rules about keeping the Sabbath. Uh, I'm doing a, a study right now in the book of Exodus, and God was very serious about keeping the Sabbath, but the Pharisees have their own rules about that. And so here's a popular teacher. He sounds like he's got authority, but he's starting to push back on what we're 
teaching and the crowds are going with it. So I, I think they're seeing that they're losing uh, their place with the people. So uh, back in Mark 3, 22, uh, they've got to do something about it. And so they um, deride him. And that's, that's the word actually that's being used when we'll see it in verse 28 and 29, blasphemy. Uh, the word can be translated like deride, rail against, um, you know, slander, things like that. So we may think of blasphemy as only being something that you can do against God, mm-hmm. but it's also this idea of, of bringing others down. They, they blasphemed Paul in Acts 13 when they reviled him uh, or derided him. So they're saying that Jesus is working for the demons. Um, I don't know, we break down these arguments here. <laughs> uh, how can Satan cast out Satan? Uh, I'd like that Jesus gives the devil a little credit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's smart. He's smarter than you guys think he is. You know, he's, he's no dummy. He's been around for a long time. He's barking at this. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he's not going to make some stupid decision like this, casting out his own servants. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what else do you see here through, uh, through 27 about Satan's, this, this crazy accusation about Jesus working for Satan? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he, he gives just a little bit like through verse um, from 23 to 26. He just gives a couple of different illustrations that show how ridiculous that is. Um, obviously, Satan is not going to try to destroy himself. What, what benefit is that for him? Uh, there's no benefit and his, his kingdom will end uh, if, if that's how he's going to run his kingdom of <laughs> uh, just, you know, this internal kind of tension that's going on. So Jesus says that that's ridiculous. I'm no, that doesn't make any sense. In verse 27, it looks like he gives the actual explanation of what's happening, um, where he says, uh, you can't go in and plunder a strong man's house and like steal from him, take his stuff, unless you tie him up first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then you can take all of the stuff. And if I understand this correctly, what Jesus is saying is, so Satan is the strong man. Jesus is coming into Satan's house. And Jesus is taking some things that Satan has. Um, And so he's got to tie Satan up first. Um, And so what Jesus is doing is illustrating by casting out demons that he is binding Satan or able to bind Satan so that he can take what Satan has has possession of, which are people, their souls. That's what Jesus's mission was to come in. Um, And that's very literally accomplished in him freeing people from demon possession (laughs) he's you know that they've been captured by satan and jesus is binding satan and freeing the the people that satan has taken so that's jesus's explanation he's he's not working for satan in fact he's working against satan uh and and he's got to strip him of some of his power to take some of the things back what do you see in well and one of the things that that demonstrates is um the, the strong man you know, Satan is a real threat. I think you've mentioned yeah. this before. Satan, Satan is um, is a real danger to us. I think it was Martin Luther in the song um, "A Mighty Fortress." You know, if, if were the right one not on our side, our striving would be losing. You know, mm-hmm. Satan. Satan. Uh, I heard someone say uh, he's he's a kind of being who could and would throw a mountain at you if God would let him. Mm-hmm. So he, he is he's powerful. Um, but Jesus is powerful, even more powerful, and he's able to bind Satan uh, and deliver him. There, there's a passage, I'm not sure if this is talking about the same thing, but it's kind of alongside this idea in Ephesians 4, 
where it describes the ability of Jesus to give gifts to his people. Uh, in Ephesians 4 and verse 8, uh, it says, uh, quoting from uh, Psalm 68, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And mm -hmm. saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. So he came down to this world. Uh, he who descended is the one who also ascended. So now he's sitting at the right hand of the father. And what he's doing is he's leading us to victory. So not only does he deliver captives, but then he leads us to victory, shares that victory with us, and then gives us gifts. Maybe Jesus is referencing that idea here in, in Mark 3. Um, but, but the point is, really, what he's highlighting in Mark 3 is the opposition doesn't want to see Jesus with this kind of power because it means they have less. Mm -hmm. They have less power than Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why it's C327. Anything else there you, you want to point out? Yeah, and maybe it'd be helpful because there are a couple of other things that show up in the parallels to this story. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus also mentions this is the exact same story, exact same context. He's just uh, cast out a demon, uh, just healed the man with the withered hand in the Sabbath and things like that. And they have the same accusation in Matthew 12. And in Jesus's kind of defense uh, in um, verse 27, he says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. <laughs> so, you know, as far as I understand it, the, the Jews had at least kind of some form of, of exorcists. I don't know exactly how that all worked or, or what the process. Even if, it, even if it did work. Yeah, even if it kind did of... work. But, but Jesus's point is like, if I'm doing it and it's working, like, <laughs> what are you guys doing it by? <laughs> um, right. You know, right. um, and then Jesus goes on in the next verse to confirm just very directly how he's doing it. Um, he says in verse 28 of Matthew 12, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Um, and that's a really interesting phrase. Um, we could probably talk a long time about this, but we don't have to. Um, but what Jesus is saying is the miracles that the actions that I'm performing are from God's spirit. Um, God's spirit anointed me and allows me to do all of these things. And you can go to various different scriptures to see that. But, but what Jesus is doing is a confirmation of God's kind of stamp or seal on him. It's God's power that, God, that Jesus is using to, um, to perform all of these miracles. Um, and that'll be explicitly kind of a, a big point in like John chapter five, when Jesus is talking about his authority the, the works that the father gave him to do are a testimony to Jesus's authority and, and his right to judge his right to give life and different things like that. So um, I think that's and maybe a passage, to. maybe a passage that kind of highlights that idea from Matthew 12, that if, if God is working through me, Jesus says through the spirit then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Why, why would Jesus and the power of the spirit mean the kingdom of God has come? Uh, Luke 4 uh, makes a connection for us, quoting Isaiah 61, where Jesus, reading from the, the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue, and just cool as a cucumber, he stands up to read this, then he sits down and says, that's been fulfilled. You know, you guys have seen it. Uh, in Isaiah 61, what he reads is, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to, me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives. Uh, opening of the prison to those who are bound. It sounds a lot like what he's stating here in Mark 3. 
but but that word anointed, uh, it's very closely connected with this, you know, Meshach, Messiah, um, Christ figure. So he's saying, if the spirit that anoints the king is now working through a person that has anointed that person, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's you know, that he's the chosen one. Uh, and so if the king is here, he's brought the kingdom with him and all that's fitting together. So uh, it, it means more than certainly what uh, his naysayers were saying. When we get to 28 and 29 and 30 in Mark 3, this is, this is the challenging bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it has to be so challenging. Yeah. Um, and before maybe we talk about what in the world verse 29 means, uh, I just want to, for a moment, pause and be in awe of what 28 means. Mm -hmm. uh, because he says, all sins will be forgiven, whatever they do, whatever blasphemies they utter. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. The, the fact that Jesus says, if you would say a, a word against me, against my power, against my kingdom, anything you would, you would do against me, uh, that can absolutely be forgiven. And I think we rush too quickly into verse 29 and forget to be in awe of, of Jesus's incredible mercy. There's not a person out there who's done anything that can't be forgiven by this, this Christ. Uh, I don't want to take that for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just contemplating the forgiveness of God and the, the depth and the availability of the forgiveness of God is just really incredible all throughout the scriptures. I've, I've recently been studying Leviticus um, with a couple of different people and going through Leviticus is just a really kind of graphic, um, really involved process of forgiveness. But one of the things that you notice when you get to like Leviticus chapter five, and you're talking about sin offerings, um, it's a little bit kind of dry reading at first, but if you see what God is, is doing, he's giving opportunity for forgiveness to everyone. Um, so you've got like just kind of the, the regular person, they need to bring a lamb or a goat, I don't remember which one for their sin offering. But then he gives some provisions that like, if you can't afford that, here's what you do. So if you can't afford a lamb, bring some birds. Um, and, and that will be sufficient and you'll get forgiveness. If you can't afford some birds, bring a cup of flour. And that will be sufficient for your forgiveness. And it's just like, uh, it, it's like, God wants to give forgiveness, which is incredible. Right. Like it, right. he, he goes way far out of his way <laughs> to be able to forgive his people. Uh, and, and yeah, that's just incredible. Yeah, the fact that we serve a God who's looking to forgive. Uh, I, was, I was talking with someone uh, recently who was very, very concerned because they mishandled the situation. They had, it wasn't even that they had is like, what's the difference between a sin and a foolish decision? Um, but they just saw that they had done something and they should have done something else. And they've you know, been displeasing to God. And I'm just, I'm really upset by this. Uh, and they were having a hard time sleeping at night. And we just went back to Romans 8. Uh, if God is for you, who can be against you? He didn't spare his own son. Uh, so you know, remembering that Yes, we need to take sin seriously. And I guess it would depend on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to someone who just sins all the time and doesn't think about it and doesn't care because God's a forgiving God and that's his job is he forgives people, then we need to probably hammer in the sacrificial, you know, Leviticus, like, look, <laughs> do you see what it costs you? Sin is death. 
Um, but if it's maybe this other kind of person who is struggling with the weight of their sin and they just, they're struggling to even trust that a God forgives, Leviticus also says, look, God wants this relationship to be destroyed yeah. or be, be uh, restored. Yeah. Um, so here in Mark 3, uh, just, just pause for verse 28, see that Jesus offers this incredible forgiveness. But then we get to 29. And uh, if we say a word against, if we deride, if we rail against, if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, then we never have forgiveness. Uh, it, it's an eternal sin. It's a sin that sticks with us. Uh, I've got an idea about what that means. Um, what does it maybe not mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing is, um, I think a wrong conclusion is to think that, um, you know, You've got this picture of God where God wants to forgive everything, but he's got this one thing that if you do that one thing, um, that really gets under his skin and, and there's just no way that he could ever get over that. Um, it's like a divine pet peeve. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And that's maybe one kind of thing because, you know, that just goes against the nature of God. Um, as it's revealed in scripture, uh, you know, first Peter is very clear or second um, Peter three is very clear. Um, you know, it's the will of God that no one should perish, but that all come mm -hmm. to repentance. And it would go, it would be contrary to his nature to have a situation where um, it's impossible for someone to come to repentance. Um, that it doesn't matter how, how penitent you are, how sorry you are. Sorry, you did that one thing. And uh you know, when you were, you know, 15 years old and, uh, you know, nothing else matters, you're done. Um, that's not the point that Jesus is making. Yeah. I think another thing, this, this is not, um, we, at least a lot of people that I know and, and myself included sometimes, we read something about the Holy Spirit and we kind of break loose and we're like, well, what is the Holy Spirit now? And the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the Spirit. Um, but it does, but we're just not as familiar, maybe. And so we think, well, this is some kind of mystical something. I don't even know that I did it. So maybe in addition to the divine pet peeve is we don't even know what it is. And I might have accidentally done it. And I think maybe I did. And I'm not trying to belittle that fear at all. I think it's a very serious concern. And, and uh, I think we should talk to people who are concerned about that with compassion. But I think when we kind of understand what Jesus is getting at here, one, if you're concerned about committing this eternal sin, you probably have it. Um, because Jesus is talking to a particular audience here who is looking for a reason to reject Jesus. He's not talking to people who are eager to be pleasing to Jesus. Um, so the Holy Spirit here, it, it seems to me that a lot of what the Spirit is doing in this moment uh, through Jesus is just providing evidence to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And if I work hard to reject all that evidence and I'm looking for any and every reason not to believe, then essentially what I'm doing is I'm making it impossible to be reconciled. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's a passage in Acts 7. Uh, this is where... Later, after Jesus uh, ascends into heaven, he sends the Spirit to his disciples, uh, and then Stephen, uh, one of the seven later who's chosen uh, to help serve the church, uh, he was speaking up, speaking out, and they arrest him, and now he's on trial. He's recounting the history of the Jews, and so this is not like a new thing. This is a very old idea about resisting the Spirit, 
In Acts 7, verse 51, he comes to the conclusion of his remarks on his own trial. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And so he looks back at Israel's history and he says, Israel, for a long time, was trying to get away from God. They were trying to find reasons to go their own way and do their own thing. And it seems like that's kind of in line with what Jesus is saying here, is if, is if you want to believe me and you want to do what God says to do, then I've, I'm giving you ample evidence. But if, if you're really not interested in that, you want to go your own way, you're just going to make it impossible to receive the forgiveness that I offer. Um, I don't know, what, what, what do you see here in this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Yeah, and I, I think all that is right. It also reminds me a little bit of what Paul is talking about in Galatians 5, um, where he, he mentions um, what living by the Spirit accomplishes um, in our lives, and he calls it the fruit of the Spirit, and that's contrasted with the works of the flesh, um, yes. and the works of the flesh is a huge idea. Um, Galatians 5 is maybe the, the highlight of that in Galatians, but you can see Paul discussing the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit all throughout Galatians, um, which I think is really fascinating. We don't have time to talk about all of that. Um, but he does make the point in Galatians 5, verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Um, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and are now living by the spirit. Uh, if, you, if you reject the message of Christ, Christ will say what that means is you're rejecting the Father. And if you're rejecting your, the Father, then you're rejecting his spirit. And if you're rejecting his spirit, then that means you're rejecting what the spirit can do in you. Um, and that's what Galatians 5 is about. You're rejecting the self-control and the love and the peace and the joy and all of those things. Um, and so you'll never be saved because if you're not those things, you are not a child of God and you're just in your sins, you're in your flesh. Um, and I think that's especially clear to see more what Jesus is talking about in verse 29 of Mark 3 because of verse 30. What they're doing is they're saying he has an unclean spirit. So they're rejecting the idea that Jesus could be sent from God. They're saying he's, he's an ambassador of Satan. And by doing that, they're rejecting kind of their lifeboat. Um, this is not a perfect illustration, but I think this helps maybe to see what the Jews are doing. It's like the Jews were, were in a boat and they fell out of the boat and it's a stormy sea um, and they're drowning and Jesus is on the boat and he throws them a life preserver and he says, grab the life preserver. And they say, that life preserver is not going to save me. It's going to kill me. And they refuse to grab the life preserver. You won't hold me up. Yeah. 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 That's what they're effectively doing by saying Jesus has, uh, you know, an unclean spirit. He's, he's possessed by Beelzebul or whatever. Um, they're, they're rejecting the thought that what Jesus has to offer is actually salvation. Um, and as long as they continue to want to do that, they're never going to receive forgiveness. What the apostles' message will become after Jesus leaves in Acts chapter 4, when they confront the Jews again, they say, we've come to understand that there is salvation in no other name. Um, this is the source. And so if you, re if you reject the source of salvation, you, there's nowhere else to get it from. Yeah. That, I mean, it almost seems, okay, so how do we apply, you know, Mark 3 today? I think, you know, the Bible goes on to teach we're not living in an age necessarily where 
there are miracles happening. You know, I'm not seeing actual physical evidence of the spirit at work. Uh, at, at the same time, like you're saying, if I reject the spiritual work in my life, which is to uh, be transformed, put on this new person, and I'm still holding on to self, still holding on to me, um, I'm rejecting the Lord. So kind of in, in line with the same idea, um, you know, stubbornness, uh, self-will, being stiff-necked, you know, back in Acts 7, Stephen says, uncircumcised and hardened ears. I'm just resisting what God wants me to do. And God is not going to make us go with him. You know, Jesus is a good shepherd and he wants to lead us, but we have to choose to submit. And, and so he's saying, look, if you don't want to submit, you don't have to. But if you're not going to submit, don't be surprised when you remain unforgiven, uh, mm -hmm. is the language here in Mark 3. Yeah. Um, oh. Well, good. Do you want to uh, you want to read thirty one through thirty five? Yeah, I really like this section. I think this is really cool. Um, what Jesus says. So, Mark three thirty one, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, "Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you." And he answered them, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers." For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Um, really incredible what, what Jesus says. Um, you know, so his, his family comes to where he is, where he's teaching, um, and they want to see him. Um, and so they call for him. And I don't know, like if you're sitting in the crowd um, and Jesus is, you know, teaching and then you hear, oh, his family's here. Um, maybe you're thinking like, oh break time <laughs> you know like uh uh jesus is gonna go spend some time with his family um so you know like we're not as important or or whatever um but then jesus says this he, he says who is my family um right and he kind of looks around at everyone and he says you guys you're my family the the ones that that hear god's will and do it are my family um and that illustrates a, a couple of different things. I've got a, a few different things on my mind, but, but what do you see in Jesus saying that? What's, what's he trying to show? Yeah, one of the things, and, and when we, I mean, in Jesus's day, this would have been incredibly surprising. Um, we don't live in a family-centric culture anymore. I think maybe um, people who come here from foreign nations probably do more. Uh, there's a sister here in Philadelphia who's back in India right now. Um, but she's here during the school year. And for her, like family is just a really, really big deal. And so there's still a lot of cultures out there in the world. The Near Eastern cultures of Jesus' day, family was, I mean, it was their, their identity. It wasn't just their social, uh, governmental, it was their spiritual, religious, it was everything about who they were. And so for Jesus to kind of dismiss that as secondary should have put his audience in awe. But then what he does is he lifts up the audience and says you guys are of this supreme importance to me and so uh, jesus highlights the spiritual relationship as as being more important to him than blood so we you know from this side of the resurrection look back and go well yeah of course because jesus you know he's not of this world I mean, he's, a, he's a man uh, but Jesus is from heaven. So of course, you know, spiritual is more important than the physical. Um, but I think the Jews, Jesus' audience of that day, this would have been startling uh, and then encouraging 
because uh, if you're not born into this relationship, then you know what do you got? And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter if you're born into the relationship or not. You're, you're like adopted into this relationship just because you're here and you follow and you're walking with me, you're obeying me, you're treating me like family, I'm gonna treat you like family. Yeah, yeah, and so there's, there's equal access into this family that Jesus is talking about. Um, you know, it, it's, anyone's invited <laughs> to become a part of the family. There are stipulations. Um, you know, you've got to hear, you've got to, you've got to do like Jesus says here. Um, but if you're doing the will of God, then you're, you're a brother or a sister to Jesus, which is incredible to think about. Um, but then the, the other thing too, and I kind of mentioned this earlier um, in, um, in Mark, whenever um, his family comes to him in Mark three, verse 20, um, and they're calling him crazy. Um, they're saying he's out of his mind and they're trying to, it's kind of a big turnaround in Mark three, uh, it looks like. <laughs> um, but I think I mentioned this last week that Jesus really sets the example for his teaching. Um, and you see that here as well. Jesus will have some really hard things to say about family in his teaching, um, about requirements, about maybe some potential hurdles. And one of the encouraging things I think about Jesus's teachings is that he doesn't command people to do anything that he himself is not willing to do. Um, that'll become especially apparent when Jesus says, um, if anybody wants to follow me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross and, and follow me. Um, and that's exactly what Jesus did, deny himself and take up his cross and die. <laughs> um and submit to the father's will um with family uh jesus was rejected by his family in some instances and and rejected his family in some instances for the will of god and he taught his disciples you know you might have to do the same thing um that can be hard um especially if you have a good moral relationship with your family but there's a spiritual obstacle um jesus would say you need to love god more um, you need to love your spiritual family more. And Jesus himself did. Um, so I think that that's encouraging that, that, that Jesus paves the way for these kind of hard family situations, not, not just in his requirements, but also in what he's willing to do himself. That, that really puts our love for Jesus to the test. Uh, but it, I think it's hard to describe that uh, in a way that, that does it justice. Um, I've got a note in my Bible for Deuteronomy 14, one through two, kind of an obscure passage, um, but there God had commanded his old covenant people, uh, the Jews, the Israelites, uh, if they were not to uh, overdo it, I guess, in, in mourning for their familial dead. You know, if a family member passes away, you know, mourn them, but you, know, you are my treasured possession. And so, if a, if a loved one passes away, you don't have a come apart uh, because that's not the most important thing about you. So you, you do grieve, uh, you know, they, they grieved Jacob for was it 70 days. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a grieving process, but uh, our greatest links are not flesh and blood. And I, I think that can, that can make somebody feel very alone. Um, we got a, we, we have a brother in Christ, um, who, when he became a Christian, he just recognized that he's the only Christian in his family. And he got busy trying to save everybody in his family. Uh, some of you may know 
may know Winston uh, Bowen. Um, and he just like really busy trying to save every single person in his family to the point where it's like almost annoying to talk with him anymore. <laughs> um, so, you know, some of those relationships get strained a little bit. What do you do about that? Well, yes, he recognizes there's a, a distinction between me and these people that I love, but now I've gained this huge family. And I think that's something that we've got to be in mind of. You know, I don't, where, where are you from? You're from um, Eastern Kentucky. Is that right? Uh, kind of like North Central Kentucky around Louisville. Okay. Um, and, and you don't live there anymore. You're in, no. you know, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, granted, you're nearby your in-laws, mm-hmm. um, but they're kind of like spread out a little bit. I'm from Alabama, but I'm in Philadelphia. I have no family here except for my wife and my kids. Uh, and one of the things that does is it teaches you to depend on Christian family. Um, some of our listeners probably, probably most of our listeners, probably worship in a church family where um, they have family members. You know, if, you, if you're blessed with that, it's a wonderful blessing. Uh, I would just encourage people, be mindful of the bias you might have to spending time with just family members because jesus says look everybody's my my mother my brother my sister uh we need to be highlighting that kind of love and affection in all of these relationships and there may be some people who are falling through the cracks uh so don't don't let uh brothers or sisters feel uh secondary in this family we've been welcomed in romans 14 15 describes as welcome that if christ has welcomed us we should welcome everyone uh, make that feel real by the way we spend time together and highlight that. There are probably some people that out there who, who don't have anybody to celebrate birthdays with them. Uh, it's a silly thing, but just like just special occasions, just spending time together, um, having somebody live. We have, we have a sister in Christ who's living with us right now because they're working on her apartment. Uh, we've lived with people for months on end because our house wasn't ready. And it's just wonderful opportunities to build those family relationships. But what anchors it all is you've made a commitment. I've made a commitment. Whatever Jesus says goes. Mm-hmm. And if that's not the shared commitment, then this family thing doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And going off of what you just said, so so you, you mentioned maybe a lot of our listeners are are part of a church um, where they have family there or or maybe even just a part of a church um, and they don't have family there. There might be some of our listeners that that are not um, part of a church. Um, one of the big promises and blessings that Jesus offers um, related to that comes later on in Mark 10, where he, he starts talking about one of those teachings again about family uh, in Mark chapter 10. And he says that, you know, you need to leave everything to come and follow Jesus. And Peter kind of uh, pipes up in uh, Mark 10 verse 28. And um, he says, uh, you know, see Jesus, we, we have left everything and followed you, one of his apostles. Um, and, and he did. Uh, and Jesus says in verse 29, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children with lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Um, it's a really great promise. It has a little bit of a, <laughs> one thing that you're like, wait, why is that in there? Um, with, the pers- <laughs> with, with the persecutions, but, with persecutions. but yeah, but it's a great promise that Jesus says no one that leaves anything in this life will not be blessed in this life and also in the life to come. 
Um, and like your, your illustration, what you just said, I mean, Jesus says you'll receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters. I mean, if you're, if you're a faithful Christian um, associated with other faithful Christians and you need a place to stay, you'll have a place to stay. Um, you know, if, if you need someone to come and uh, celebrate your birthday with you, you have some people to come and celebrate your birthday with yeah. you. If, if you need some people to deal with some really difficult life situations, you've got them. Um, you know, yes. uh, you know, we just moved, um, you need people to come help you move. You've got them, you know, and those are some kind of trivial things, but, but also the big things, Jesus says, like, listen, this is the family now. This is, this is your right. family now. Um, and Jesus is a part of that, which is cool. And I forget sometimes I, I take it for granted, uh, but there've been times where we've gone to help a, uh, a, a Christian move and they may have some family who are not Christians and they should have to help move. And they're flabbergasted by like the army that shows up, the extra food and drinks that show up, um, how pleasant everyone is to show up and help. Because moving's a stressful time, and I guess I guess the world is accustomed to just kind of going through that, and you're frustrated and you're angry, and there's not a lot of help, and you're you're on your own. Um, it's something not to take for granted. It's something to leverage for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, so it's it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Uh, there's a, a camp that Jonathan and I are both part of sometimes um, is for young men. And the director has said, I think most, most times every year we go, he says, if you ever find yourself alone at camp, you're wrong. And, you know, that's more of like a security thing, uh, keeping kids out of trouble. Um, but I think there's, there's probably some sense to that, even in the church, if you find yourself alone, and there are definitely times to be alone. Jesus went away to pray by himself. But if that's kind of your go-to, um, you're, you're probably wrong. You know, Elijah got into trouble that way in 1 Kings 19, where he went off by himself. And actually, he, he leaves his servant behind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then he says, I alone am left. It's like, yeah, come on, Elijah. Wait a second. Mm -hmm. uh, there are 7,000 out there who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You can get back to work. Um, there are times we're going to feel alone. And, and there's a truth to being isolated. No one quite shares the same experience I do but you have value in this family. Jesus welcomes you in this family. Uh, you're part of this relationship. So lots to talk about there, but we'll just maybe hold off on more of that until we uh, get to some of those passages like Mark 10. Wonderful, yep. wonderful teaching. Yep. Uh, Jesus kind of breaks into this new teaching style in Mark 4. Mm -hmm. um, do we, do we want to take some time today? Do we have time to get through uh, maybe 1 through 20 or should we pause yeah. for next week? Yeah, we should probably wait until until uh, next time. Maybe we can do that next okay. week. Um, but yeah, we've got like two minutes left. So uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just that that introduction, I think is good. You've got that new teaching style to start teaching in parables. And it's very, um, very beginner friendly in, in Mark yes. 4, um, which I think is intentional <laughs> that Jesus starts this new kind of unique way of teaching. Um, but then he gives the cheat sheet <laughs> afterwards. Yes. Yes. Um, so, that, so that'll be really helpful to, to break into in uh, Mark 4 next time. So, um, Okay, I'll put it up my Bible. All right, well, thanks, Justin. Um, and thank you to our audience for uh, tuning in. Uh, and if you have any questions about what we talked about today, um, maybe a little bit more of a technical kind of passage. So be happy to answer any questions that you all have. Um, and if you have questions about anything else you want us to talk about, you can visit our website, BibleQuest.tv. And you can ask your questions there and we'll be happy to talk about any other passages or, or Bible questions that you have. So that's all that we have for this week. And so we will plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.